0: I want to welcome each and every one of you this morning to the worship service of the Lord. As I said in the prayer, we are brought here by belief. It is belief that keeps us going each and every day. We are different in so many ways than one, and yet we are the same when it comes to belief. If you believe in Jesus Christ, let me hear you say, Amen. It is that belief in Christ that drives every sermon that you listen to, every verse that you read, every song that you are paying attention to, every religious spiritual experience is because of a belief in Christ when you scrape off and peel off all the complicated stuff, when you get rid of all the the mess and all the facade and everything that we think is important, right at the core is belief in Jesus. Having said that, last week, I had the humble privilege of starting the series that Pastor Henry is going to continue, I believe, for a couple of weeks. I want to apologize to you for being in a rush for those who were here last week. I was warned that if I take my time, we might get shut down and we can't open again. I don't know why they said that to me. But I was told to take my time today, so that's what I'm going to do. The sacrifice code. The sacrifice code. It's not just what you sacrifice. It's not just how much. It's why. What are the motivations? For why you do what you do. Why do you consider yourself a wife who goes above and beyond? Why do you consider yourself a parent who goes above and beyond? Why do you see yourself as an employee, a business owner, a doctor, a lawyer, a whoever? Why do you think that you sacrifice? And why should it matter? That's what this series is about, Pastor H., The sacrifice code. Each and every one of us have it embedded within us. The only question is, has it been corrupted or is it still operating by the Spirit of God? Last week, we spoke about a king who lost his way. We spoke about a king who was given the privilege of being the first ever. He was the prototype. He was the example to be set for every other king in the nation, but he failed. We heard that he had the job for 40 years, but he was fired after two years. That the rest of the years were just him being on hold until God found a replacement. I want to present a different argument or idea today. It's happening again. I want to present a different argument or idea today. There's a relationship that has been celebrated for thousands of years. Not that this relationship is more important than others, but simply because it has held significance to humanity. And the relationship I'm talking about is father and son. Father and son. Now, ladies, please don't don't imagine that I'm saying the mother-son relationship or the mother-daughter relationship is not important. Because after all, all sons are mommy's boy. Am, am, Am I correct in saying that? No, no, see, some of the sisters said amen. That's a disgruntled sister who was given second place and not first place. Here we go. The father-son relationship has been celebrated universally that when God introduced himself to humanity, he introduced himself as father, son, and Holy Ghost. That relationship has held significance for as long as humanity has existed. Granted, in our generation, the sisters, the aunties, the daughters, the nieces have stepped up and said, it's our turn. I get it. Girl power and all of that. But in the Bible, the father-son relationship is so significant that it, is, it echoes generations. And Methuselah begat so-and-so, and Noah begat so-and-so, and David begat so-and-so. It's the father and the son. This relationship is significant politically, socially, and spiritually. Politically, the chief or the king or the monarch would pass on the mantle of leadership to his son. Socially, the firstborn son or the only son in the family was responsible for the survival and sustenance of the family. Spiritually, God said, Every firstborn of your animals and plants and property, everything, first fruit is mine. That included the Son. Jesus is considered the firstborn of creation, not because he was created, but because everything comes out of him. But there's a dynamic of this relationship that I'm interested in. And that is, what happens when disappointment gets into that relationship? What happens when a father disappoints a son? What happens when a son disappoints a father? The Bible is full of father-son relationships that are worth exploring. I could talk about Adam and Cain. I could talk about Enoch and Methuselah. I could talk about Noah and Shem, Ham, and Japheth. I could talk about Abraham and Isaac. But today, there's a relationship in Scripture that I want you to pay close attention to. Again, this is not an isolation attempt on my part to simply talk to the fathers and the sons. It could be a mother. It could be a teacher. It could be a supervisor. It could be a pastor. It could be a head of whatever. It's that relationship between leader and follower that I'm exploring today. The son with a prodigal father. The son with the product of let me do a social experiment real quick as far as disappointment goes who is usually more disappointed a father who has been let down by a son or a son who has been let down by a father talk to me let's say it's an 18 year old young man with a 40 something year old dad and the son does some foolishness as young people will do Or the father does some foolishness. Who is usually more disappointed in that scenario? Generally speaking. Don't don't testify now. Just answer generally. You said the son. I agree with you. Because here's the thing. As a son myself and a newly inducted father myself, I can tell you right now that my son does stuff that it disappoints me a little bit every single day, but you get over it. And the older the child gets, you handle the disappointment. No matter how big the infraction is, he will always be your son. But for a son to see a father fail, the disappointment is deeper simply because the son looks up to the father and when you mess up dad, your son is hurt. When you hurt his mother, he feels it. When you fail in some way, shape or form, it hurts him to the core. Generally speaking, if you're a leader, if you're a mother, a parent, your actions are viewed and seen by a child, and it lives with them forever. I was preparing a talk when I, I, I traveled to Manado two years ago. I was talking to young people and parents, and uh, I was looking up a statistic about the parent's influence on a child, and this is what I found. It's a psychological statistic. It doesn't have to be fact, but bear with me. The statistic said, rather not statistic, but the study said that it takes... One time for a parent to break a child's heart. You're not smart enough. You're not clever enough. To cancel out that one time, it will take 17 other times by a stranger to work it out. That's why during a graduation, a child can come up on the stage and the first thing the child does is to look for mom and dad. Everybody else is just an extra. They want to see the expression on their parents' face because that's what matters to them. So when a parent fails, when a pastor fails, when a president fails, it hurts. Oh, you have no idea. When I saw Will Smith's hand go across Chris Rock's face, my heart was hurt. Big Willie was an example of a father. Okay, we're here to talk about someone else, not Will Smith. I'm sorry. Before somebody steps on the stage. The son with a prodigal father. Does anybody know what the word prodigal means? You always say it, prodigal son, prodigal son. Do you know what the word prodigal means? It means wasteful. It means spending that which is not yours. It means squandering the favor of God. It means missed opportunity, wasted opportunity. I'm not here to talk about the father, but inadvertently he will be mentioned. My interest is on the son. He was disappointed, but how did he react? Still, still. I don't know what's going on over there. Let me read a statement. Pay attention. It's important. Let me, let me stand over here so you can see it. As a parent slash leader slash teacher slash supervisor slash pastor slash head whatever, you walk a fine line. You, you instruct your children slash followers to live according to the values and customs and ideals that make social sense. Every single human being, every parent, follower, leader, every person that is in charge of somebody, your job is to make sure that the values and customs and ideals of the company, church, organization, home, school, business, country are reflected in things that make social sense. On the other end... While at the same time choosing to raise or instruct them in the values and customs and godly ideals that make spiritual sense. Here's the problem when you, as a parent, leader, head of whatever, fail socially, it affects your children/slash followers spiritually. That's why, as a pastor, you can stand up here for 20 years and break the Word of God down perfectly, fill the house, make one mistake. One mistake and everybody leaves. Because you fail socially, it affects people spiritually. What do you do then? What do you sacrifice? Do you continue to be faithful? Young girl, young man, I'm talking to you. What do you do when your dad messes around on your mom? Do you still become a good husband? If you see your father striking your wife, your mom down, are you going to do the same or do you choose a different path? If you see your parents pretend until they walk to the door, everybody's screaming at each other, did you turn off the stove? This is what you do all the time. You're not a good dad at the door. Happy Sabbath, Pastor. How was your week? Our week was blessed, Pastor. Your children are watching you. I'm sorry, this is not a parenting sermon. But for some reason, the Spirit of God has made me get stuck right there. Because I know myself around my son. I struggle as a father. I struggle as a man. And I am concerned about the influence I have on that brother. Because this generation is crazy, y'all. Let's go. Here's a Bible text. Somebody said, Pastor, are you going to read a verse? Here's the verse for today. Just one verse. First Samuel chapter 14 and verse number 1. Now it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said unto the young man that bare his armor, Come, let us go to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But he told not his father. But he told not his father. Now, to the uninitiated, non-Bible reading, non-Scripture paying attention person, this son is being disobedient. If I put Jonathan to the cultural test of Indonesia, he's being a bad son. How dare you not tell your father what you're about to do? Because according to social norm, you must tell your parents everything. Everything, not so much. Not so much. My mother said to my brothers and I, I don't mind who you date, but don't bring every Sally, Mary, and Susan. Bring the one that you plan to marry. And as God is my witness, my wife was the first woman I ever said, Mom, this is my girlfriend. And she thought that she was too good for me. But that's mothers. That's mothers. Pray for her. But Jonathan chose not to tell his father. But that's not the whole story. Because the text says it came to pass upon a day. That means that there were days before. What led Jonathan to decide not to disclose these actions to his father? I told you about Saul last week. If you missed it, go on to the Jakarta Central Church website, watch the sermon, and then come back. But make sure you don't leave. How are you going to do that? Nobody knows you better than family. Amen, somebody? Oh, nobody knows you better than family. I'm up here preaching and telling you all what to do, but my wife's looking at me like, really? Really? Now, now, Now you're going to preach now? Now you're going to be holy and act like you're the thing? She knows me. And your family knows you also. Your children know you. And children, just in case you think this is against your parents, your parents know you also. So when they question you about who you're dating, listen to them. Now, when I was single, I've never said that. But now I'm a dad. I'm like, boy, I'm watching you. Your parents know you. And parents, your children know you. What do we do with that relationship? So, so, so one day, back in the day when I was still, uh, uh, I love The Simpsons. Right? You know The Simpsons? Yeah? Yeah, one of the episodes. One of the episodes, uh, Brother Homer brother homer he 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 turned to his family i don't remember whether they were they were about to walk into church or some social setting and those that know the simpsons are a crazy family and so homer turned to his family and said now remember as far as everyone knows we are a nice normal family that's what we sell every single day how many of you are willing to post a picture of mom and dad fighting on social media not the graduation picture Not the vacation picture, no, the you're the worst husband in the world picture. Post that one. Let's pretend as if everything is nice and normal. But how do you pretend that everything is nice and normal when you are the king of the nation? Your life is in public display. So where did the problem begin? Let me get up here. Where did the problem begin? In 1 Samuel chapter 13, this is where we were last week. We discussed Saul's inability to be patient, Saul's inability to trust God's plan, Saul's inability to listen to the prophet. But embedded in that chapter is the relationship between Saul and Jonathan. In fact, it's the first time that father and son are mentioned in scripture together together. Verse Samuel 13, verse 2, this is how the relationship dynamic begins. The Bible says that when the Philistines threatened the people of God, Saul selected out of the entire army of Israel, he selected 3,000 capable men. Men that he considered the bravest, the most qualified, the most trained, the most skilled. 3,000 of them. And being the coward that he was, he took 2,000 to himself and only gave Jonathan 1,000. He gave his son 1,000. His son went over to the city of Geba for the Philistines. And the Bible says that not Solomon, Saul, I'm sorry, not Saul fought the battle, but Jonathan did. You see, the Philistines had divided themselves up into, into large groups, and they were attacking from different flanks. And it so happened that the first attack happened in Geba. Here's what the Bible says about that attack. It says, Jonathan attacked and defeated the Philistines at Geba. That's good news. Here's the sad news, the tragic news. The Bible says that news spread quickly amongst the Philistines because they saw how capable this young man was. Pause. Pause. There's an important detail in chapter 13 that I must share with you. The Philistines were military strategists. They knew how to disable their enemies. And the one thing that the Philistines did was they got rid of the blacksmiths. The blacksmiths are the ones who make the the, the hammers and the swords and the bows and all the, the metal work that is used to fight in battle. So the Philistines said, you know what, rather than dealing with you guys all the time and being afraid, we are going to get rid of the weapons. They took all the weapons and only two people had weapons in all of the nation, Saul and his son. Can you imagine the people of God, the nation of God, no sword, no bow, no chariot, nothing, just the king and his son. I believe it was a pagan tradition to honor your enemies leaders the king was kept alive and he was allowed to keep his family and keep his castle but really he was a prisoner so there's only two swords how many swords two Two swords so the soldiers had to go armed with with forks and shovels and their wives baking pin that's what they went to battle with But the Bible says that Jonathan won the battle. The Philistines talked about it, news spread around about the king's son who was causing problems. But rather than celebrating his son, this lily-livered, namby-pamby, wishy-washy king takes credit to himself. He blows the trumpet in all of Israel and says, Hebrews, hear this, rise up in revolt. And listen, and all Israel heard the news that Saul had destroyed the Philistines in Geba. Who won the battle? Come on now. If you don't work with me, I'm going to preach longer and JCC is going to get shut down. Who won the battle? Jonathan won the battle but the king blew the horn as if he had done it because this is the kind of father he was I I, I see parents do this all the time I see fathers who are not at home not present and when the child graduates with a summa cum laude in an MBA the dad is like this is why I work hard this is why I'm not at home to provide for my kids it's not you it was mom Maybe. I don't know. I don't live with you. <laughs> next one. Jonathan chose duty over disappointment. Oh, I'm going to take my time. Uh, eight Next year, April 10, I would have been in Indonesia for a decade. A de- ten years. And for ten years, I've had a chance to have a front row seat to the social, cultural structure of this country that in spite of your cultural differences there are things about you that remain the same parents disappointing kids kids disappointing parents and most of the time most of the time if I could weep I would but I need to preach most of the time when children are disappointed they make decisions that reflect poorly on the family but they blame their parents anyway They make choices, life-altering choices that affect not just the family, but the community and sometimes the church. But it's okay because my heart has been broken. Never mind that your mother carried you for nine months. Never mind that she spent sleepless nights feeding your behind. But you make the choice to disappointment. And it works both ways. I hate parents who remind their kids what they do for them. My father used to do that to me, telling me what he has done to provide for me. I didn't choose to be born into this world. If given a choice, I would have chosen another family. But I love my mama too much. So disappointment works both ways. This young man, the prince of the nation, has been disappointed by his father, but he chooses duty over disappointment. Throughout the narrative of these two men, Saul continues to act like a donkey, but the son continues to be honorable to the family name. All the way, Jonathan kept fighting battles he didn't have to just to honor his father. He chose duty over disappointment. My prayer today is that young people would choose duty over disappointment. Would somebody say amen? Amen. If we did, the church would have more young people up here leading than older people. I've got parents who are sitting in the audience almost wanting to cry right now because their kids are not here. I'm going a, I'm to a get out of your business. The other thing that Jonathan did... By the way, I think I I skipped it over with this mess with the slides, but there are three things that Jonathan did that are worth noting. Three sacrifices. The first one, he sacrificed his reputation for a dutiful son. He sacrificed his reputation. What do I mean? His father was terrible. By the way, Jonathan knew his father before he was the king. He knew his father as the son of a wealthy farmer, landowner. He knew his father as the shepherd. Uh, uh, When we are introduced to Saul, he is going to look for his grandfather's donkeys. That was his life before. Jonathan knew his dad before he was the king. And now that uh, Saul is the king, rather than becoming an Instagram spoiled kid, Jonathan chooses duty over disappointment. He maintains his integrity by living a life exemplary of royalty. The other thing that Jonathan did was he exercised godly independence. I understand, young people, I get it. We all want to be independent. Because of circumstance, I became independent at the age of 16. I left home at 16. Oh, that, that's normal. You, you know how it goes, man. By the time you're 14, your parents are asking, so when you live in home? The moment you graduate high school, uh, you're going to university, if not, when you leave in home, that's an African thing. Not, not, not out here. The kid sleeps in the bed until they're five years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For us, when you're born, c'est la vie, you're gone. Okay? So 16, I was out of the house. So I don't, I don't understand what you're going through. I, I can't relate. I am not relatable. You're 25, staying at home, being told what to do. I, I can't relate. Don't come for me for advice. If you're not happy, leave home. Go pay the bills. Take care of yourself. Listen to the young mother, hmm your kids are still young, don't do it, she's still young. Take it easy, she's still young. Jonathan exercised godly independence. What do I mean? See, independence is a human right. It is in our DNA to want to do us, to do you. It's in our DNA. But Jonathan was careful in how he exercised that independence, Even though Jonathan, here it is, even though Jonathan wanted to be different from his earthly father, he didn't want to be distant from his heavenly father. Did you catch that? He wanted to be absolutely different from his earthly father, but he did not use, he did not use, he did not use his father's failure to have a messed up relationship with God. Mm. We're going to see it. Number two, number two. He sacrificed the throne for a friendship. He sacrificed the throne for a friendship. Listen, here we go. Okay, Jonathan sacrificed the throne for a friendship. There's a complicated, uh, controversial relationship in Scripture that is often used to support the idea of homosexuality. Don't worry, don't panic. Don't cancel me just yet. I'm not here to talk about homosexuality. I'm not talking about that today. But there's a a, a scripture in the Bible that is used by people to suggest that God is okay with it. And it's the friendship between David and Jonathan. The Bible says that David loved Jonathan with a love that was greater than a love for a woman. And this is David we are talking about. He loved Jonathan more than he loved women. And people say, you see, they were partners. No. The love that a man has for a man in a gay relationship is the love that a man has for a woman. Mm-hmm. But when you love somebody more than the opposite sex, that is a deep, deep relationship. A relationship with no benefits. Mm-hmm. But you love them anyway. Jonathan gave up the throne for a friend. Mm-hmm. Let, me, let, me, let me challenge Okay, I'm done with the parent-child relationship. Let me talk about y'all's friendships now different people like different things about you the question is is that who you are or is that what they want to see what do i mean right now there's some of you here your friends two girls three girls you're a group of you right right you heard about this church with with black preachers y'all came together to see what's going on right you want to know is one of them single yes he is not not really i'm sorry where's the camera i'm sorry not really right? Uh, 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 you got together because maybe you, you like the same artist, Taylor Swift, Ugh. right? Maybe you like uh, uh, Amazing Grace, or maybe you like the same food, or you like the same movies. Y'all you're, you're like to Netflix without chilling, of course, right? You love to do stuff together. We like each other for different reasons, but here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. For a lot of you, your friendships are temporary. It takes one rumor, just one, oh girl, did you hear what she said about your shoes, to mess up the friendship. Right, Because for some of you, your friendships are thin. They're not built on something as deep as what Jonathan and David had. I, I, want, I want to paint a picture. I want to paint a picture. So here's, here's what happened. Yeah? Saul was the king. I told you at the beginning that one of the customs in the day, the political custom, was that the father would pass on the monaco, is that a word? The crown to the son. So it stands to reason that Jonathan expected that at some point, this crown is coming to me. But along the way, his papa messed up. The prophet told him, you are fired. You can keep the job until your replacement comes. Bet, bet that Jonathan heard about this. One day, the Philistines, this thorn in the flesh of the nation, sent a giant. It's bad enough that they took all the weapons. It's bad enough that they had 30,000 chariots and a number of soldiers that were as much as the sand of the sea. But to add insult to injury, they sent a giant to the field. And for 40 days and 40 nights, this giant mocked the soldiers of Israel. He challenged them to come. And the challenge was, one of you come, fight me, and we're done for the day. But for 40 days and 40 nights, nobody stepped forward. For 40 days and 40 nights, nobody stepped forward. The sons of Jesse had been inscripted into the Israelite army. And one day the father said, take your brother some snacks and supplies. And David goes up. He steps up to the battlefield. He steps out of darkness into the public light that day. And he hears this giant talking. And with a basket with fruits and bread in it, he stops for a moment. He forgets why he's there. And he asks somebody, who's that joker standing up on the hill there? who is he? And they tell him, that's Goliath. He's the sons of the giants. He's, we're scared of him. He's like, for real? We are the people of God and we're letting this joker say what he's saying. And in the tent, Jonathan, Saul, and all the important people, because important people love to sit together. They don't want to fight the battle, but they sit together. They're the people with a special seat in the house. They sit in the same place, eat the same food, say the same things, complain about the same stuff over and over again. But a little shepherd boy steps up and says, I'll fight. Jonathan sees him. Jonathan sees him and says, this is somebody I can be friends with. David cuts off the giant's head. And by the way, people always say this. Y'all need to correct this with your kids. Commercial break. You need to correct this with your kids. Goliath was not killed with stones. He was killed with a sword commercial break over the bible says some time after david did such a good job saul is an idiot he doesn't pay attention he sees this young man kill the giant he promised him a wife he promised him wealth and he promised him royal status he takes david into his own own uh, uh palace because that's how god works pastor sometimes you don't know that you're training your own replacement Sometimes you don't know that you're training the person who's going to take over from you. Pastor Henry, you have no idea why you're here. Now you know. I needed a break, baby. I needed a break. And so David is in the palace, and the Bible says that uh, Jonathan's heart was knit to David, and they became like brothers. I believe that Jonathan is a little bit older, and so he takes this young man. It was Jonathan that taught David about royal life. It was Jonathan that taught David how to bow, how to salute, what to say, how to carry himself, because David was a shepherd boy. What did he know about royal life? Jonathan took him under his wing, knowing, knowing that David was going to take over from his father. Anybody here in a family business? Anybody here willing to take their friend to take over the family business? I don't think so. He's not Asian. One day Saul begins to recognize that how come the women are singing that David killed 10,000, but they're only singing that I killed 1,000? And Saul's heart began to be stirred by an evil spirit. When we met Saul, he was being moved by the spirit of God. He even prophesied, Pastor Henry. But now, because he has wandered from God through prodigality, now he's being moved by an evil spirit. Over and over again, he tries to kill David. And between betrayal and uh, exile, one day Jonathan says to David, these are the words of a friend to a friend. Jonathan went to find David and encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. Amen, somebody. No malice, no jealousy, no envy, nothing. He encourages him and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. My father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel and I will be next to you. We need some next to you people. We need some people who are willing to be Jonathan. You don't have to be the head pastor. Sometimes you can just be by his side. You don't have to be the important one. I don't care whether it's the wife earning more money than you. Husband, stay by her side anyway. It's 2022. Stop wanting to be number one when it's not your position. Jonathan respected the calling of David. He stepped aside and said, it's all you. Whatever you need, I got you. In fact, he says, my father knows that I love you. Saul even tried to kill his son because he sided with David. By the way, don't, don't use this text as a, as a gateway to date a bad person and say, you see, Jonathan and... De- okay. <laughs> Let's go. Jonathan chose love over leverage. Jonathan chose love over leverage. What does that mean? As the prince of the nation, he had the opportunity to have an entourage of people who followed him because he was the prince. Because when you have the money and the influence, you pay for stuff. You choose where we eat, you choose what movie we watch, you choose what restaurant we go to, you choose the vacation spot, you choose everything because you're the eat girl, you're the guy, you're the one that everybody sees, you got the the thousands, hundreds of thousands of followers, I'm just there for your clout, I'm just there to follow you. But what happens when the people following you all of a sudden have more followers than you? You are the boss one day choosing where to eat lunch, now they are the supervisor, they got the promotion, not you. Here's what I've observed in God's church. I'm not talking about outside, in God's church. I've seen young people be friends until one of them gets married. I've seen people be friends until one of them gets the job that the other one wanted. I've seen friends who, when the friend is able to afford a vacation, they don't even like the picture. They are so close to unfollowing them because jealousy and malice is driving them. But Jonathan was a kind of friend that followed, commented, and retweeted, and reposted, and said, Hashtag, he rocks. (laughs) Jonathan chose love over leverage. This goes to not just friends, but spouses and pastors. Don't use your position with leverage. Rich people, don't use your position with leverage. Parents, don't use, oh, let me stand up here for this one. Don't use your leverage to decide the choices of your kids. If you've raised a Jonathan, let them decide. But if you've raised an Absalom, watch them 24 7. Don't you let them go. They're, they're your kids. Do what you want. I don't care. I, I do care. I do care. Let's go to the next one. Finally, I'm done. He sacrificed himself to get the job done. In fact, that slide is supposed to say he sacrificed himself for a cause. He sacrificed himself for a cause. Apparently, I don't need this, so my sister, pay attention. Let's go to the next one. He sacrificed himself for a cause. The first thing that Jonathan sacrificed was his reputation. His father was all kinds of messed up, but he still remained dutiful. The second thing that he sacrificed was the throne because his friend was chosen by God. And finally, he sacrificed his, himself. Listen to this. Real men and women of God. Real. Real. By God's standard. Not mine, not yours. By God's standard. Real men and women of God are driven by a cause and not just a calling. So after stepping down for two and a half years... I had the privilege of talking to young people, not just in Indonesia, but around the world. Uh, Some of my classmates from the Philippines, some of my friends back home, got involved in my online ministry. And so I had the privilege to coach and counsel young people. And the number one thing that every young person says, especially during lockdown and a pandemic, Pastor, I don't know my calling. It doesn't matter whether they're from a wealthy family, an average family, or a poor family. It doesn't matter whether they've graduated with a master's or just a degree. It doesn't matter whether they have a skill that they're actually performing. They're earning a paycheck, they have a job, but they're saying, I don't know what my calling is. I'm not going to ask you to do it, but right now, just in your heart, raise your hand if that's you. Are you a young person here that says, I don't know what my calling is? I'm a child of God. I go to church. My parents have been dragging me to the service forever, but I still don't know what my calling is. I want you to know that some of the people we celebrate today, they were not driven by a calling first. They were driven by a cause. Do you know why we know Nelson Mandela? Do you know why we know Mahatma Gandhi? Do we know why we know Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, uh, all and so on and so on. Even the, the modern day activists. Do you know why you know them? It's because of a cause. A cause brought them to the stage. Martin Luther King Jr. was a preacher. Died a preacher. But some of you know him as an activist. For the black movement, the civil rights movement, to be correct. But it was the cause that got him there. Mother Teresa was given a medal by the Pope and celebrated by the world. But do you understand how she got there? Because one kid was starving in India, and then another one, and then another one. It was a cause that gave her her calling. So I would like to suggest that if you don't know your calling, try to attach yourself to a cause, and your calling will find you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Sometimes your calling is not your career. Your career is just a platform. You get to carry out your calling. So Jonathan was driven by a cause and not a calling. If you understand that, let me hear you say amen. Amen. Let's go. Sacrificing yourself doesn't always mean dying. I I, I have to say that for some reason. Because people think that the, the, the peak or the height of sacrifice is when you die for something. Sometimes just the willingness to die for something will cause you to live forever. Because God wants to keep you around because you are an example. Okay? Being sacrifice, sacrificing yourself is not about dying for something, it means being willing to put everything on the line for a cause. What cause are you willing to give up for? Or is your calling more important? Your career, your relationship, your reputation online. Is that more important than a cause? So once again, for every young person in the room, if you're failing to find a cause, get closer to the people of God. Get closer to the leaders of the church. Get closer to missionaries. Get closer to people who are doing something that is of spiritual importance. I promise you, you will find a calling. Amen. So, something I was wrestling with because In sacrificing himself, Jonathan did something that his friends, his shallow, cloud-chasing friends would have discouraged him to do. The Philistines are threatening the nation. There's only two swords in the kingdom, Saul and Jonathan. Where is Saul? He's sitting under a pomegranate tree somewhere, doing nothing. With his soldiers, doing nothing. Meanwhile, his son is fighting the battle. Jonathan is impressed with an opportunity he hears about some Philistine a Philistine horde or a Philistine group of soldiers that are planted in a place that is up high so he turns to his armor bearer let's go he turns to his armor bearer and says let's go over and see if we can do something but before we get there I had a question in my mind was this an adventure of faith or was it spiritual suicide? Because when you take a risk in life, you need to ask yourself, is this an adventure of faith or is it spiritual suicide? To, to give an example, I'm going to use myself. Not myself, but Samson in the Bible. There are two things that Samson did that exemplify an adventure of faith or spiritual suicide. One day, Samson had no weapons to fight with. A thousand Philistine soldiers confronted him. And being Samson, the Bible says the spirit of the Lord came upon him. He picked up the jawbone of a donkey. Not a sword, Donald. The jawbone of a donkey, huh, of a donkey. And he killed every single one of them. I've always asked myself, what was the last guy thinking? Why didn't he run away? Why did he stick around for that? 999 people are dead. Why would you stick around for that? Anyway, that's an adventure of faith. That's a man doing something for God. But in the same, same book, different chapter, Samson hooks up with Delilah. Sam fool sa- finds delightful. She makes a fool of him, cuts off his hair. That was not an adventure of faith. That was spiritual suicide. Do you see the difference? An adventure of faith is when you step out by faith, you jump on a plane with no money, and you head off to the Philippines. That's an adventure of faith. Jumping into uh, the ocean with no tank and just goggles and swimming with sharks is stupidity. That's spiritual suicide. Jonathan's actions were an adventure of faith. Are your choices Your life choices, are there an adventure of faith where you're trusting God in difficult times? Or are there spiritual suicide where you are ignoring God, ignoring godly parents, godly people, godly leaders, and you're saying, it's my life, I can do what I want with it. Dre Dre knows the song, he knows the song. Okay, let's go, let's go. I'm I'm almost done, hang in there. I can see some of you are looking at your watches. Get out of here. Okay, the verse again, we finish where we started. One day, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come, let's go over to where the Philistines have their outpost. But Jonathan did not tell his father what he was doing. There are a lot of reasons why Jonathan wouldn't tell his father. I'm not going to go over them. There's a lot of reasons why Abraham didn't tell Sarai when he was about to sacrifice Isaac. There are a lot of reasons why Jesus did not disclose everything to the disciples about the truth or himself. There are a lot of reasons in life why we don't share everything. Parents, there are some things you haven't told your kids just yet. I don't know whether you're waiting for the right opportunity or no opportunity. There are things you're not willing to share. There are spouses that haven't told their partner everything. I don't know your reasons. Probably it's an adventure of faith or spiritual suicide. I don't know. But Jonathan knew his father. Either his father would stop him because he wants the credit or he would interrupt his plans because he was who he was. I don't know. But Jonathan said, this is me. This is what I'm doing. Let's go. Let's go. There are times when spiritual action demands social silence. Did you catch that? Your right hand doesn't always have to see what your left hand is doing. Pastor, you've been gone for so long. Are you still a pastor? Yes, I am. I'm not on social media, but I'm doing God's work. Sister, we haven't seen you for so long. You don't hang out with us anymore. What are you up to? I'm about my father's business. My brother, where are you at these days? We thought you were doing your thing. We saw you posting. How come you're quiet? I'm about my father's business. Listen, spiritual action sometimes demands social silence. You don't have to post everything. You don't have to share every single detail of your life. My brother, my sister, in case you're not sure whether you're going to break up or not, please don't post stuff on Instagram because some of us are nosy. We are going to screenshot it. Every relationship, we have a history of your life because of IG. So keep some stuff to yourself. Amen, somebody. Let's go across to the outposts of those pagans. Jonathan said, Do do you see the spirit of David in Jonathan? He understands that these people are not the people of God. He says to his armor bearer, because he's the prince, Pastor Henry, so he's got a helper. He's got somebody to carry his shield. He's got somebody to carry his armor. So he says to the armor bearer, are you with me? And this armor bearer, we don't know his name, but he was a ride or die. He trusted Jonathan and he said to him, let's go. I want to tell you very briefly about the, about the journey. But listen to what Jonathan says. I love Jonathan. Perhaps the Lord will help us, for nothing can hinder the Lord. He can win a battle with many or just a few. Amen, somebody. Jonathan was the prince, but he also understood. I don't need the army with me. Do you understand that as the prince, he could have gone on vacation to avoid fighting the battle? He could have hidden in the castle. He could have taken a chariot and an entourage and made his way to the River Nile in Egypt and just swam in the river. He could have gone to the Dead Sea and chilled there on vacation and posted it while his father fought the war. But Jonathan said, I choose duty over disappointment and his fighting by himself. Let's go. Let's go. The Bible says that when they, when they got up the region, by the way, it wasn't a flat surface, it was jagged. They, they climbed over hills, they climbed over jagged rocks to get to where these Philistines were. Because sometimes in life, the struggle comes before the battle. You thought the thing you were going through was the problem. Oh no, it was leading up to the real problem. Whatever you're going through right now is just a preamble for what lies ahead, but keep climbing. Keep climbing. The road is difficult, but keep climbing. And notice, he didn't take off his armor. He kept it on. Sometimes the devil tries to convince us, listen, that sword is too heavy. Get rid of it. That's the word of God. That helmet is too heavy. That's the the helmet of salvation. That breastplate, the the, the loincloth, the the shoes, and get rid of it so the climb is easier. But Jonathan said, oh, no, I'm keeping all of it. And when they got to the top, the Bible says that Jonathan said to his armor bearer, listen, we are going to show ourselves to these men. If they say to us, come, that's a sign that God is going to give us the victory. Ah, this is not in my nose, but i got to do it. I'm not going to talk to you guys for a while. Listen to me. If you are going to look for signs, like some of you do, when you're looking for a job or a life partner or what country to move to, if you are going to look for signs, the only time you can do it is when you are stepping in the name of the Lord. But if you are stepping in your own name, you are praying for somebody, but you're not asking God, you are telling God. Don't ask God for a sign when you already know the brother's name. The Bible says they killed 20 people. Stay right there. They killed 20 people and that's when God stepped in. God stepped in. The Bible says that the moment 20 soldiers died, the Lord created chaos among the Philistines. An earthquake shook, and to them it sounded as if an army was coming, but it was only Jonathan. Because when you sacrifice yourself for a cause, God will put an army behind you, and stuff is going to get done. Pastor, let me talk to you, because I've walked in your shoes. When it feels that only the few in the church are going to support you, keep moving forward. To the elders and singers and the people who are serving God, don't get tired, because God can work with a few. He only needs one percent, two percent. That's all that He needs. <sighs> Did you notice that only those who serve are the ones saying, "Amen." <laughs> don't hate the player, hate the game. Say, "Amen, somebody. Amen. I'm done. Reverend Charles E. Goodman Jr. said, when the time comes, God will add super to your natural. Did you get that? Everything we do as human beings is in the natural, but God steps in, Nick, and he makes some supernatural stuff happen. Just when you thought it couldn't be over, just when you thought we'd never worship together again, just when you thought the disease would never disappear, where's my wife right now, just when you thought that God wouldn't heal our son, that's when super comes up. Because that's how God operates. He steps up when nobody else will. When all human effort has gone. When your friends have abandoned you because you're all churchy now. When people don't want to support you because you want to live a straight life. God will step in and supernatural things will happen. Last one. Recap. He sacrificed his reputation. He sacrificed the throne. And he was willing to sacrifice himself. What are you willing to sacrifice in order to get the job done? Let me pray with you. Let me pray with you. Is there somebody in here that says, Brother, Oh, you you can call me brother by the way. Brother Sam, there are things in my life that I've wanted to do but I've been afraid. Maybe opportunity never presented itself. Maybe I've always used my parents' mistakes, my spouse's mistakes, my friend's mistakes, the pastor's mistakes. I've used that as an excuse not to step up and be counted. But after hearing about this young man who was probably in his late teens, I also want the courage to sacrifice my reputation. I want to have the courage if there's a need to give up the position. I want to give all of myself because uh, Paul says you must sacrifice, present your body as a living sacrifice. It's, it's not in dying that we honor God. It's in living. If that's you, stand to your feet. Let me pray with you. Let me pray with you. Remember, oh, God can work with a few. I don't need everybody to stand up. Heads bowed. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Oh, oh my God. Here we are. Men, women, boys, and girls, fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, uncles and nephews, aunties and nieces, grandparents. Here we are, pastors, CEOs, doctors, supervisors, entrepreneurs, whatever it is we are doing, Lord, here we are. All this time, we thought we were never going to make it. We, we thought it could never work out. But after hearing about this young man, he was privileged. But he didn't leverage his privilege. He had a name. He was known. But he was willing to do things in private for God. And so here I am today, Lord, standing before this audience. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, we, we are reflecting right now. Each of us are thinking about the things that we could have done, but we've been using excuses. We've been blaming our parents. We've been blaming our guardians. We've been blaming our teachers who didn't believe in us. We are blaming the professor who didn't support us through our dissertation or thesis. We are blaming the faculty that didn't allow us to graduate when the job was available. We are blaming the people that didn't employ us, and we are blaming the interviewer that said, "You are underqualified," or "You are overqualified," And so we've stopped trying. But today we recognize that there is a chance, there is a possibility, that with God, with the little bit we have, we can do some. So I'm praying for somebody out there that they will stop making the excuse that they, they, they don't have what it takes. You do. You do. You have God. I know it hurts to watch the people you look up to make mistakes. I get it. We're surrounded by a bunch of prodigal people. I could be a prodigal person right now in front of you. But I'm saying you could be like Jonathan and step up. Father, I present young parents to you today. They have the opportunity to be examples. I present to you parents who have older youth, children, you still have an opportunity. I present grandparents who are watching their children make the mistakes of the past. They have an opportunity. They don't have to go down the road of Saul. They can come back and be godly parents and be godly leaders and set a good example. It's not too late. I surrender this church into your hands. The leadership, The followers, the spectators, those who are here for entertainment, those who are here to criticize and judge, those who are here to to work and get stuff done, those who are willing to cry and sweat and bleed for the cause. Don't get tired. Keep doing it keep doing it, the Lord will bring results and the people that criticized and the people that walked away and the people who don't support, they'll come back because when a fire starts burning, people come and warm up themselves. Now, Lord, to end this service and my time on this pulpit, I say, be above us to watch over us. Be beneath us to lift us up when we get discouraged. May you walk in front of us to guide us in the way. May you walk behind us that we would never, ever go astray. May you walk by our side as a friend, as Jonathan and David did. May you surround us to protect us. But above all things, be in our hearts. So like Christ, we are willing to hang on a cross for the cause. In his name, let every blood-bought saint say amen. And Amen. Y'all may be seated. You see, I know that that word spoke to you and it resonated with you at some point and you would like to respond to it. And I want to let you know that you can do that right now. Perhaps you want to do Bible studies to know more about Jesus Christ. Perhaps you want to be baptized. Perhaps you just want to commit your life to Jesus. Please text us on the number on the screen. I'll be more than happy to respond to you and to your needs. May God bless you and take care of you. And I must see you very soon.